Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Fay, and I'm joined this week by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello Rich. And by Tyrone Marshall. Afternoon Rich. And usually at this stage I'd say what we're looking ahead to on today's podcast but it is another uncertain sort of situation at the moment. United have seen both Premier League matches this week cancelled due to a Covid outbreak at the club. I say cancelled, they are postponed. Who knows when they will take place but yeah Samuel Ty, it's been a very busy week with no actual matches to report on here. Every day there seems to be a new story as well. We're also going to look ahead to you know McKenna leaving the club, maybe a bit towards the January transfer window. And look ahead maybe for that Newcastle game whenever that does come. But yeah, it's been a really, really weird one, hasn't it? And no games to report on. Samuel, what has the story been from inside United then? I know that we got the official postponement of the Brentford game really late on the Monday night. Most fans were asleep before they would have been travelling down to London anyway. And then the Brighton game was cancelled a bit earlier, but it always seemed like it was going to be postponed anyway. Yeah, I think on Thursday, uh, even though I was off yesterday, I was expecting I was expecting the announcement to come then. I suppose because of the eleventh hour uh, postponement of the Brentford game, the Premier League and, and United were probably conscious of giving fans, um, uh, you know, more notice uh, that it was going to be off. Uh, I, I got two messages off two separate sources at exactly the same time saying, oh, it's it's off. And that was just before one o'clock. And then I think it was a little under two hours later that it was it was made official. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there, there was some maybe blind optimism on Tuesday night. I think it was the word coming out from from United was that they were they were hopeful that they'd contained the outbreak and they thought that the game could go ahead this weekend. And when obviously Ty did the story on Wednesday about the players who'd returned to the um, to the training ground. I think it was 17 players. Like that. They had enough for a squad. The, the Premier League handbook states you've got to have 14 players um, minimum uh, in order to fulfil a fixture. And that's excluding under-23 players. But then, obviously, on Thursday, I think it was only five players were accounted for. And it emerged after the postponement was announced yesterday that they only had nine available players for the Brentford game and seven available players for um, the Brighton game. I think there are a number of other things to be factored into it. Uh, some, some under-23 players who were certainly in contention to be in the Brentford squad contracted covid and in terms of squad size, when when it comes to maybe using under twenty three players or reserve players to make up the numbers, they have to have reasonable experience. Now there aren't many under twenty three players at United that really qualify as that. You look at Zidanek, Balan, and Charlie Savage, who only made their first team debuts last week, and that that was that was only just because of the the circumstances. It wasn't as if they've been on the cusp of a breakthrough into the first team. Bjorn Hardley was in the squad as well. Ted and Mengi's been known to supporters for quite some time, but the young boys game was his first game of the season, so it's not like he's got much first team experience. He's, he played a fair amount at Derby, but I don't think that would be factored into it. So the under-23 issue probably strengthened United's argument because, well, they, they I mean, they, they pushed for the postponement anyway, and we can see why that was. But the fact that even these raw, callow under-23 players who are in contention to actually be on the bench at Brentford weren't fit enough and had tested positive for COVID as well was just another 
that that made the case even more compelling for the game to be postponed on Tuesday. And now the story has just escalated because other games are being postponed. Uh, clubs are playing catch up. You look at the fixture backlog that's brewing already. The suggestion um, coming out that some clubs are quite keen for a fire break as well. Uh, it amounts to a really just just a really messy scenario uh, next year throughout all of next year and not not just even next month that the winter breaks next month are probably going to go up in smoke you would imagine uh, given that a lot of clubs will have to use those free midweeks to and, and free weekends uh, to to play fixtures in order to play catch up in order to get the season finished on time but already the UEFA yesterday announced the Nations League fixtures I think there were two or three rounds of them in early June the World Cup is obviously unique next year in that it's a winter World Cup. So sooner or later, you're going to have more players at, at breaking point. And I think one thing the Premier League aren't really helping themselves with is that they're not being um, transparent enough. United were eventually transparent about the number of players they had available for these two games this week. But the Premier League has still not put out any more data about how many players are, are fully jabbed. Um, I think it was 68% as of October. One of the reasons why the Bundesliga, uh, uh, Serie A and La Liga aren't in the position that the Premier League is in is because in excess of 90% of players and staff have been fully vaccinated in those leagues. The uptake in the Premier League is clearly a lot lower. And from what I've been told, the the percentage of double-jabbed players at United is low, which is not great either. And United banked an awful lot of goodwill and did a hell of a lot of good during the lockdown that supporters are entitled to feel a bit let down by some of the players who deliberately aren't getting vaccinated. And I, I'm not being dogmatic on, on, on the subject at all. Some people, are, you know, you, you, you're not, I'm not forcing someone to have a jab. Nobody's forcing anyone to have a jab. As it stands, there's, you know, there's people have got the free will to do what they, to have it or not have it. But I think Jurgen Klopp has spoken quite eloquently about it this week and that he just listens to the experts. And it's clear that if you listen to the experts, you get double jabbed, you get your booster, then you're going to come through it if you do contract uh, COVID reasonably well. People who would have loved to have had the jab or would love to have had the vaccine can't because they've died uh, because of this pandemic. And it does stick in the craw when certain footballers aren't getting double jabbed and Certain footballers have also used their image to, um, uh, you know, attach themselves to the the goodwill gestures to the NHS last year. Well, if you want to help out the NHS, get get double jabbed. But some of those footballers who will see the the PR gain from that won't actually behind closed doors do what's what's absolutely required. So I realise this is a subject that is an absolute minefield, as we've all seen online. Fortunately, I keep you know sound sound company, whether it be colleagues like yourself or family or friends, who by and large uh, I've not come across any anti-vaxxers. And unfortunately, from what you see online, there's there's a clear thread with with anti-vaxxers and for what they stand for and and what they know or, or rather what they don't know. I guess that in itself makes it a, a particularly tricky situation, doesn't it, Ty? Because there is sort of no legal requirement for them to be vaccinated. It still does remain their own personal preference. What do you believe can actually be done now then to 
to quell this this issue at the moment that seems to only be snowballing and and getting worse you know every every hour really i mean do you think that the firebreak situation is something that needs to be explored or do you think that it is a case of trying to keep as many games going as safely possible and introducing the measures maybe that we saw earlier in the year and, and of course last year just yeah your own personal opinion on it tyrone um I, mean, I think it needs to keep going really i mean first of all on the on the vaccination issue i think um you know, I think clubs should start looking at, at what Bayern Munich did, really, and just fining people and docking players' wages for forced into isolation because they're not vaccinated. Um, I mean, United have said they had seven players available for, for Saturday. Some of those unavailable are due to injuries. Some are due to COVID. We, I mean, we don't know. We're purely guessing, but there's every chance some will be isolated because they've not been vaccinated. And if they're unavailable for employment because they've not been vaccinated, should they be getting paid? I mean, maybe United are docking wages, but... You know, Bayern Munich took that approach, and I think it's uh, when the option is there to get vaccinated, and the experts are telling you to do so. I don't think there's any reason for professional footballers not to. And if you're going to take, choose not to, if you're not available for work, then you don't get paid. It should be that easy, really. And Simon's right that it does need more high-profile people to speak as, as forcefully and eloquently as, as Klopp, because you wonder how many people on Merseyside have probably got vaccinated because of Klopp's words. People that don't listen to the news and. I've never, you know, wouldn't be able to pick Chris Whitty up in a lineup. But I've heard Klopp talk about the vaccine and thought, well, it's good enough for me then. And if other clubs were doing that, you'd, you'd probably find a, a higher take-up in um, in society generally. But yeah, in terms of a fire break, I just don't see how a two-week or three-week fire break is going to work when the situation is going to be worse in, in two or three weeks. Um, you know, it, no one's expecting this variant to go away imminently. I mean, it might not last the way it's spreading. It might not last particularly long because we'll have all had it before we know it. But it's not, you know, it's not going to have gone away in three weeks. So what are we going to achieve with a three-week fire break? Unless all the players are going to be bubbled into hotels like the England cricket team have been, it's not done them much good. But unless they're all going to be confined to hotels and bubbled away and almost taken out of society, it's not going to work because we can have a fire break. But then instead of Man United with an outbreak in two or three weeks, it'll be Manchester City. It'll just change which club has got an outbreak. So it's not going to make any difference. And once you put it on pause, all you're going to find is that in three weeks... It's impossible to start playing again. There's no leeway in the summer because of the World Cup and the, the short the short turnaround and the start of the season in August. So I think the league are right to try and plough on and, and play as many games as they can and hope that the situation improves fairly rapidly, really. And just, you know, there's an awful lot of crossing fingers and hoping, really. But I don't think beyond that, there's, there's much, much else that can be done. No, I feel like I'm a talk radio host at the moment. It seems to be going like from one, one side to the other. I'm not sure if I see, Samuel, what's your, your stance on it. But I guess, Samuel, do you agree with that, that, that a fire break wouldn't do much? Or, or do you believe that it's something they should do just to try and, you know, at least have that transparency and get, you know, in place? There's not going to be games for this amount of time. We can try and get some sort of protocols together, even in terms of cancelling games, because the manner in which some of these games are falling just seems really different compared to other ones. You know, some of them are getting quite a bit of notice. Some of them are getting a minute, you know, an hour or so notice. So, do you think that there is any benefit to a fire break, or, or do you go along with Ty's sort of opinion there? No, I I, I agree with Ty. I, I think they need to continue. Uh, it, it would just be perverse for players to have three weeks off the season, but then during that period they'd be free to fly to Dubai or free to go out to a restaurant or. Uh, go to a nightclub as, as as long as it's not in Wales. I think Wales have decided to close nightclubs. So from Boxing Day, so <laughs> they still have a pre-Christmas uh, booze up if you really wanted to. But yeah, like you said, there's yeah. there's so many contradicting rules, aren't there? Yeah, and that's that's the 
that's that's my fundamental issue with it. From a selfish perspective, I don't want I don't want three weeks without football in December and January. It's yeah, lockdown was hard for for everyone for very different reasons. Fortunately for ourselves, we were able to still work. Um, it, it, it was a very very strange time working with with no football to cover. Trying to you know, come up with summon up ideas, summon up inspiration, try and talk to people who really had nothing to to add on the matter really. But that that period is not not good for supporters it's not good for staff at stadiums who who have jobs there uh, it's not good for livelihoods of people who work in local businesses whether it's chains or independent businesses on match days who really benefit from matches taking place as well of course if a game can't go ahead then as, as has been the case this week there's, there's nothing you can do about it I would cause you know I'm cautiously optimistic that United's game in Crikey, how many days off is it still? Um, is it 10, 10 days? 10 days against Newcastle should go ahead if United have had this massive COVID outbreak um, and the players will hopefully come out of isolation middle of next week, maybe end of next week, but they should have enough players available to to play that fixture. But will Newcastle get... Um, will Newcastle be, I was going to say, affected, but infected is probably the more appropriate word to use given, given the state of play. But as... As, as Ty said, um, I just the other thing I suppose with players not wanting to get double jabbed, those players will then be complaining at some point down the line about burnout uh, because of the fixture backlog, about how many games they're having to play. Look, I, I had my booster on Thursday, and when the chat was going through the symptoms, part of me in my mind thought, I can see why some footballers, trying to put myself in a footballer's mind, if you like, I can see why some footballers would think twice about it. But and, and there has been a lot of scaremongering going on in dressing rooms as well. But ultimately, you've just got to listen to the science. And f- for us here speaking, we read, uh, you know, we're, we're news junkies effectively, whether it's, uh, you know, dealing with football matters, which is our job, but also in terms of you know, other matters, uh, other parts of the news. And, and you have to be at this time as well. And we're educating ourselves to know what the best course of action is. Clearly, with footballers, I don't. With some footballers, anyway, that's that's not happening. Uh, at the start of lockdown last year, there was a very prominent Premier League player who held a lockdown party. Um, there's a very prominent Premier League player who dodged media duty earlier this season because he was worried about being asked about the vaccine because he's not double jabbed. So another player came in um, and fielded questions and confirmed they have been uh, jabbed. So. This is the issue that a lot of clubs and associations are having at the moment. And as as Ty said, what Klopp did last night in terms of what he wrote in the programme notes, and then those words being amplified by reporters who are at the ground, will have got a lot of people on Merseyside uh, probably vaccinated um, or or they've, they've decided to have their booster. And the Premier League have wheeled Alan Shearer out today to, you know, try and encourage people to get vaccinated, which is a very commendable thing to do. Shearer is synonymous with the Premier League, um, but it would be a hell of a lot more impactful if it was a current prominent player. Marcus Rashford has done a hell of a lot of good um, over the last year, 18 months or so. You know, he, he would probably be the perfect person to stick his head above the parapet and urge people to go out and get vaccinated. 
Yeah, like I said, I think there needs to be maybe more focus from their point of view as well in spreading that word. And yeah, maybe we'll take a break from speaking about vaccines for a while. Um, you mentioned the Newcastle game there, Samuel. And one person who won't be there, Kieran McKenna. He's landed the Ipswich job in League One, in a very highly regarded role. And he was a highly regarded coach at United as well. Ty, were you surprised to see him get a job of that manner though? Um, I mean, a little bit, I guess, because just... I mean, I suppose it's inevitable he would want to be a manager and he started very young in coaching. I guess that's always the the ambition, although it's not for everyone. It didn't sound like Michael Carrick was entirely sure that was the route he wanted to go down after his stint at United. Um, but I guess it was a surprise because he's, as, as hand-regarded as he is at United, there was obvious question marks about all of the coaches really under Solskjaer and how none of them seemed to be having an effect. It, it didn't feel like he was a coach that was in the public eye of, league one or championship clubs and and on the verge of, of getting a job and, and getting a good football league job but you know i mean fair play to him i think it's a i think it's a pretty decent job um you know i think of fergie's words when he always said pick your owner to his former players rather than your club and ipswich i mean ipswich have had issues with managers recently but it also feels like a club with a hell of a lot of upside compared to potential negatives i mean they're 12th in league one when they've probably got a championship squad Hawcock had a bit of a disaster there, but that squad really should be in the playoffs. So it doesn't feel like it's going to be that, it shouldn't be that difficult of a job to get some upside into it quite quickly. Um, but yeah, it does feel surprising. He's very young. He's had no management experience, but then, you know, nobody's had management experience until they start doing it, have they? Um, but yeah, it, it didn't feel like it was something that was imminent. It didn't, I think it came as a shock to everyone yesterday. It didn't feel like it was on the radar. He's never been linked with another managerial job, as, as far as we're aware. It's not like he's been throwing his name into the hat. We've never heard of him being interviewed for another managerial job. So, yeah, it did feel like it had come relatively quickly, but probably probably good for all parties in the end. Yeah, you mentioned it being good for all parties there, Tyrone. Samuel, it means that Mike Phelan is the only one of the Solskjaer Brigade still at Old Trafford. Um, yeah, it's an odd situation now. I mean, it probably helps Ralph Ranjik and Ty, I think you wrote a piece, didn't you? Um, similarly, that you know it can sort of accelerate his own sort of overhaul behind the scenes now because he's got one last person, well, two less people now to sort of to have to deal with that are maybe from the old regime that are already contracted to the club. So, what do you think it means for United going forward, Samuel? Do you think it is almost good news for for Ralph because he's got that chance to have that sort of clean break from from the old ways? But of course, Mike Phelan is still there doing whatever it is he does. Well, McKenna did have purpose there in that he helped Rangnick during that brief period they were working together oversee training preparations and he he has been training the first team this, this season as he has been for the whole time that, that Solskjaer was, was manager as well. But some players, a lot of the players didn't, I think the, the description that was used to me was that he was like a school teacher. Um, he, he was not particularly popular. I think there was a point where they thought he was a bit too junior and they needed someone with, with more authority um, overseeing the sessions. But for whatever reason, it, nothing ever happened there. Uh, from United, it, it works out well in that they've not had to pay off Carrick and pay off McKenna and, and also pay off Martin Pert, who was another... Um, dubious appointment shall we say to Solskjaer's coaching staff uh, they've not had to pay them off in, in compensation so three coaches have gone uh, separate to Solskjaer without any of them having to be sacked uh, I mean if, if Phelan had any respect for himself he he would walk away but obviously I understand why he why he isn't because unlike a lot of unlike Michael Carrick for example 
he didn't make uh, he didn't have the financial gains that character during his playing career. But that said, Phelan has still been working in football um, since he retired from from playing a hell of a lot in a coaching capacity to have you know, been reasonably comfortable. You would have thought. But it is it is becoming humiliating, and especially after what Rangnick said about him last week, where he pretty much said he doesn't do anything. Um, he just you know, he, he won't even be on the training pitch, which was something that Solskjaer didn't want to confirm, but something we all knew. And then Rangnick confirmed that last week. He, he is putting his own you know his own imprint on it already with Chris Armas and Sasha Lenz coming in, and I think there might be one or two others who come in now, particularly because McKenna did actually have. Um, there was a reason for his existence there. So they, they will probably have to offset that. And that, that might be uncomfortable with some supporters who see it as Red Bull franchise and United because Lenz and, um, and, and Armas were previously attached to uh, RB Leipzig and, and New York Red Bulls. And of course, Rangnick was the sport director of the Red Bull group for seven or eight years, I think it was. And it would also indicate that maybe he's not just content with focusing on this season. It's it's about preparing for beyond this season, which which is completely logical, given that he's going to be in that consultancy role if indeed he's not the manager after June the thirtieth. Um, so, but but still, if you're going to change coaching staff again in in six months' time, uh, that that has to be raised as, as as an issue as to whether any more appointments should be made. With with Sasha Lenz and, and United didn't have a sports psychologist, and the last sports psychologist they used was Bill Beswick in the days of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and, and Steve McLaren, which was between 1999 and 2001, I think it was. So, and that's that's common practice at most clubs to have a sports psychologist this week. So, it, it's certainly a, a coaching setup that is a, that is much more in in Rangnick's image. Uh, I suppose you've got Richard Hartis and Craig Mawson, who are the goalkeeping coaches who came under Solskjaer, who aren't quite as, you know, they're pretty inconsequential compared to Phelan's appointment, but someone's always going to need to be sticking around as goalkeeping coach. Chris Wood stuck around after David Moyes was sacked, Emilio Alvarez stuck around after Jose Mourinho was sacked. So, um, as I said, they're, they're pretty inconsequential compared to McKenna, but he, I think he's got decent potential Um however badly it's gone in, in recent months. Uh, two sort of subjects to end the podcast on today. Tal, come to you first on this one. And we are getting closer to the January transfer window. You know there's going to be questions about this on every podcast for the next Ooh. sort of month or so. Um, yeah, and you did a piece of this as well, Tyrone, saying you know, United priorities might have changed ahead of the January transfer window. I mean, if you were in charge of United yourself, how would you be approaching that? I mean, of course, there's a few senior stars who, what do I call them, stars anymore, who look like they might be on their way out. United need to balance the books. We knew last summer that they needed to sell players before they bought players, really, and Daniel James was the only permanent sale. So United still have a bloated squad. They've got a lot of players who are, like we said, on the fr- on the fringes there, who are sort of blocking the youth talent from being able to get opportunities as well. So do you expect it to be more of a selling window than a buying window? And, and what priorities would you have for United in the next month or so? Uh, um, I hate to make it a boring podcast and everyone about to, to switch their speakers off, but I'm not sure it'll be a buying or a selling window now, to be honest. Um, I think with what's happening at the moment, managers and clubs will, will probably quite like a bloated squad as a bit of extra insurance really obviously United have had games called off this week but had their outbreak not been quite as serious you know there's lots of clubs with three or four positive tests you had a few injuries on that you might still be well you know short of players but forced to play so 
I think the likes of, you know, probably looking at Lingard, Martial, Van der Beek, maybe as three obvious candidates to go. United might now be thinking we're best off keeping them for six months and just having them on the books in case we get we get an outbreak and they're needed. You know, you, you're only a few positive tests away from well, Van der Beek starting a game and Lingard and Martial at least being first, first or second choice substitutes, maybe even starting. So I think clubs will be looking at it and thinking... They're certainly more reluctant to, to loan players out. In in Van der Beek's case and uh, Martial's case, you're probably only looking at loans in January. I'm not sure that would really benefit United. Now, I think they'd probably rather have the insurance of having an extra body around in case they get another outbreak. And I guess the issue is that if every club has that approach, then no one's no one's going to move. Um, it's obviously less of an issue at the moment on the continent. It doesn't seem that any clubs are, are having outbreaks that, that the Premier League are having. Could just be that they're a couple of weeks behind, of course, and it, it does develop. But I think it's I think it could be a really quiet window for maybe everyone bar Newcastle. Um, because I just think Premier League clubs, having seen what's happened over the last week, are gonna want large squads and could be reluctant to to let players leave. And it's always I mean, January's always a difficult season. The signing of Fernandez aside, for a club of United stature and any of the top four, really, it can be it is really, really difficult to sign a player that's gonna actually improve your team in the January transfer window. So you throw that in as well. And I think it's going to be potentially another another pretty quiet window. Yeah, I won't be wearing my yellow tie next month. I can say that one for sure. <laughs> um, Samuel, I guess Tyra mentioned them there, Newcastle United. That is this next scheduled match for United on Boxing Day. Um, we did put on our sort of running goal for this podcast, predictions for Newcastle. I guess a prediction is <laughs> the match. It was very sarcastic, yeah. <laughs> So you do what I mean, what what are you looking for looking for from that? I mean, do you think that game will go ahead? You said that maybe from United's point of view, there's a bit more positivity, but of course it relies on the opposition as well. Yeah, you, you want to be positive at this time, but you also want to be negative for the tests. That's just <laughs> the way it's working. Uh I, I mean, I've got God knows what's gonna happen over the next ten days or so. It's uh, hopefully this time next week. Rangnick's just done his pretty much press conference. I, I'd, I'd even take a Christmas Eve press conference. I wouldn't have any any problem with that. Um, and and we're gearing up for for the game on the twenty seventh. It's you know it's, it's it's a bit of a different dynamic. I think it's the first time since two thousand nine that United are due not to play on Boxing Day, uh, which which is a bit of a shame, uh, given that it's, it's, I think a lot of fans actually really relish Boxing Day football and. There is definitely something special about it. I think it makes Boxing Day, and it's pretty good having an Ashes Test as well to to watch at the start of it uh, this year. But as I said, it's it's you're dealing with the unknown. Unfortunately, this this virus isn't isn't going to vanish vanish into the ether. Um, people are going to have to live with it. For for a section of society, they're going to be treading on eggshells um, for for probably the rest of their lives, which is extremely sad and. I think that's that's the thing that, in terms of getting vaccinated, in terms of getting boosted, it's not. It's obviously it's it's for you, but it's also to protect people um, you're close to who who may be vulnerable. Um, so, yeah, it's it, f- football does feel very very insignificant at the moment. It's it's a bit of a godsend that there are some games that are still due to go ahead this weekend, and I think maybe the saving grace is that if there's no United game tomorrow a lot of fans might decide to go to Rochdale who are playing at home tomorrow. It's, you know, it's a local football league um, team. You can get down there on the day of the game. 
there'll be other clubs as well, other football league clubs. I know they try and do, you know, go to go to a football league game day or whatever it's called, but maybe that will come in early this year, given that half the fixtures aren't on in the Premier League. And so people can still get their football fix if if they want it and uh, and stand on the terraces. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, at this moment, football doesn't feel too significant, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's what most everyone who listens to this podcast will care about the most. And let's hope we can have a return to a bit of normality as well soon over the festive period. Samuel and Ty, thank you very much once again for joining us on the Manchester's Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. And thank you very much again, wherever you might be in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time.